She hardly knew how to follow up her observation, and made no attempt to do so, only asking herself again where they could be going. Curiosity has its pains as well as its pleasures, and the bitterest of its pains must surely be the inability to follow up everything to its conclusion. Professor Fairfax and Dr. Vere continued to push their way through the crowds. Then they disappeared into a side street and were lost from view. Catherine finished her tea and stood up reluctantly to go. Down in the street, a taxi slowed down opposite to where she was waiting to cross over. She could not have known that the distinguished-looking elderly man inside it, stroking his small silver beard, was Felix Byron Mannering, one of the older professors of anthropology now living in retirement in the country. The taxi turned into the side street, and Professor Mannering leaned forward in pleasurable anticipation. He told the driver to stop before he'd reached the number he really wanted, so that he could see the house from the outside. He tried to imagine how it would strike his colleagues, approaching in their shabby motor cars or on foot, laden with the paraphernalia of their academic calling, raincoats, briefcases, files of notes, from which they seemed so unwilling to be parted even on social occasions. Would they raise their eyes to the beautiful Georgian façade? Would they even know that it was Georgian, and envy his skill in having persuaded Minnie Forsythe that some, at least, of her late husband's wealth could not be more nobly used than in founding a new anthropological library and research centre, and endowing a number of fellowships for young men and women? Certainly they could not have done as much. He remembered the first-class railway carriage, and the distant church spires of Leamington Spa, seen in the greenish light of a spring evening last year. And Mrs. Forsythe, it was difficult to think of her as Minnie, which was surely an unworthy name, leaning back against the white lace antimacassar, her large blue eyes full of admiration and bewilderment, while he talked and explained and persuaded. Felix was almost chuckling to himself at the memory of it, and gave the driver an unnecessarily large tip as he got out of his taxi. Fairfax and Veer, trudging along on the opposite side of the street, were talking loudly as they approached the house. Each had a penetrating voice. William Veer, because as a refugee he had been forced to build a new life in a strange country and make his impression in a foreign language and Gervais Fairfax because he was the youngest of a large family and had always had to assert himself. Now they were discussing their students, by no means unkindly, for there was a friendly rivalry between them in getting the young people fixed up with research grants which would take them into the field. Africa, Malaya, Borneo, or any remote island where there remained a tribe still to be studied. Number 23, this must be it said Fairfax shortly. Yes, I think so. They made no comment on the elegance of the house because they did not even glance at it, except to see the number on the door. They were curious to see the place. Felix's folly, they called it among themselves, but they'd both had a hard day and needed a drink. I hope everything is ready inside, said Fairfax, glancing at his watch. It's a bad thing to arrive too early, you know. I hope Esther Clovis and her helpers have been cutting sandwiches, or perhaps Felix will have been wise enough to leave that side of it to a catering firm. I suppose he would hardly concern himself with the domestic side of things, said Vere. 
but we must hope for the best. He had told his wife that he would not be needing a large meal that evening. Inside the house there was plenty to eat and drink, but a crisis had arisen. The library had already been open to readers for some days, and at this particular moment it happened to be full of young anthropologists, some of them mere students, who had not been invited to the party, which was to take place in the library itself. Miss Clovis and her friend Miss Lydgate, who was an expert in African languages, had been in and out of the room with plates of eatables in their hands several times, thinking that surely at the sight of food, unexpected in any kind of library, the visitors would realise that something was afoot and make a move to go. But they continued to read books and make notes. "'I shall have to take action,' said Miss Clovis firmly. "'Come, Gertrude,' she added to her friend. "'We will confront them yet again.'